Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given and if you're wondering what that background noise is that is not sadly all of our fans desperate to get a photo with us we are in the very very nice Engage Icon Lounge at Lords, where I have to say they've been more than amicable to me today um, which is a polite way of saying I'm slightly sloshed Daniel Norcross has been professional and working for the Australian outfit SEN, so he's compass mentus. Stephen Finn is too big time for this podcast, as you probably know, and he's currently working for the BBC until about eight o'clock. Um, but I am joined by Daniel. Now, before we begin, Daniel, yeah. our producer Sal is sat here watching us. Producer Sal is about two feet away. Now, normally what happens is we record this podcast on Zoom. We say lots of things that we shouldn't say. And then Sal saves our careers by deleting them and texting us the next day going, don't worry, I've deleted this and that and this and that. Here's the setup. We're currently recording on your phone as you put a rolled cigarette into your mouth. If we say anything untowards, Sal physically cannot edit this because we're recording it on your phone and posting it tonight. So we have to actually be well behaved and Sal is going to give us scary eyes if we do anything wrong. So Norcross, for the first time in your life, you are unfiltered. How do you feel about that? Uh, not great. I mean, hell's bells. Um, well, let's just see how it goes, shall we? No, well, it's no slander, right? No comparing anybody to things that we shouldn't. Yeah. No mention of the Nazis. Yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. whatever you do, don't mention the Nazis. Oh, Sal's looking at us. Sal's looking at us. Don't mention the Nazis. Uh, is rule number one. Well, let's just see how we go. Poor, poor Sal. Poor Sal. Um, so, couple of things. First of all. Not a wonderful day for England, having won the toss and put Australia into bowl and then basically getting bazballed against. Australia closed the day on 339 for five. It was looking a lot worse until Joe Root took two wickets and one over, including the worst shot I've ever seen by Cameron Green that we will come to. Um, but I want to talk about the most hilarious thing that's happened today. And that is that Kevin Peterson on the TV coverage, and I don't know if you know about this, Daniel, he was very angry with England in the first session. Not just with the way they bowled, which I think was terrible, considering that they had a new ball in beautiful conditions and I don't think they bowled very well. But Kevin Peterson wasn't happy about England being a bit too pally with the Australians. Kevin Peterson wasn't happy with England about being too pally. Um, 
This is the same Kevin Peterson who spent the entire 2005 Ashes basically telling everyone how he was best mates with Shane Warne and how far they go back. The same Kevin Peterson that famously texted all his South African mates and then said in an interview, but they were my mates. Um, there's a little bit of pockets all black there, isn't there, Daniel? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just mindful of what Sal might say at this point. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think Kevin, like a, a lot of uh, cricketers turned broadcasters, uh, did one thing when they were cricketers and then a different thing when they were broadcasters. Like, for example, not declaring when they're cricketers and calling desperately for a declaration so they can have a day on the golf course when they're broadcasters. Right. And this sort of, I mean, the collective memory loss of ex-cricketers when they get a microphone is something to behold. But um, I understand it. Although, yes, I do think he might want to pause to refle for reflection if, if he's capable of that. Um, as reflection is something, it's a hard thing to do, reflect. I mean, I'm trying to reflect on whether my life choices last night at Adam Collins's wedding were strictly speaking in keeping with a man who needed to be working on the first day of the Lord's Test the next day. And, and I know that it's a painful process. So I have some sympathy for KP in this regard. But broadly speaking, um, yeah, I don't think it's about being pally. I think it's about bowling friendly filth in really what well, felt like good overheads albeit i've got to say like ryan sidebottom said to us just a moment ago wouldn't you have uh, batted first now thing is at lords you look up not down don't you and we all went Ooh, it's greenish it's gray surely you should bowl but apparently it's very dry underneath joe root's making it turn a bit nathan lyon in his hundredth consecutive test match five wickets shy of 500 wickets might very well be, uh, let's put it mildly, a bit of a handful. And people who bowl quicker and make things happen faster. Look at Josh Tung. He bowled two balls today that were beautiful, but had they been bowled by perhaps Holly Robinson, who didn't quite have his speeds up today at 78 miles an hour, they might have been kept out. But at 86 miles an hour, that jag back is tricky. Now, I don't like to remind people, but Australia have got Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark, and Josh Hazelwood. And they might be something of a nightmare. But yeah, by the way, you've, you've skirted over my favourite moment of the day, which was Johnny Bairstow lifting up a Just Stop oil protester <laughs> and carrying him so quite, I mean, not slowly, he marched him off. But it was at all times his feet were off the ground, this protester. And then he simply dumped him over the boundary for the first six of the day. It was great. Well, I enjoyed Zaltzman's tweet at the time where he said, would Ben folks have handled that situation even better? Which I thought was wonderful. Um, at the moment of uh, recording this, I'm, I've gone viral, Daniel. Oh. I tweeted earlier saying, "Say what you like about yeah, <laughs> say what you like about just stop oil protesters, but they are excellent at getting tickets for things. Yeah, they turn up bloody everywhere. They do. They really turn good. up bloody everywhere. Um, yeah, that was a wonderful moment and a weird start to the day. And maybe a bit of orange paint on a length would have been useful for England in that opening session. But it's worth mentioning that Ollie Pope dropped a catch early on and has also gone off of a dodgy shoulder. Um, but that might have been a huge turning point because it would have meant that England got to bowl at Smith and Labuschagne earlier. Who knows? Shoulda, coulda, woulda. England are just a little bit ragged. Um, they missed a lot of chances and bowled a lot of no-balls in the last test. They're doing the same here. And is this just going to be the nature of the beast for the next few months, years, decades, that with Basball, when it goes well, it's the best thing ever, and when it's bad, we all slag it off and criticise it, which isn't fair because we kind of have to pick a side. Well, it's tricky, isn't it? I mean... At some, some point today, I wondered if basically this was like the unveiling of David Koresh, that essentially we were, we were part of a cult 
Like the basball has become a cult. Don't worry, Sal, he's saying cult. Cult, yes, cult. <laughs> you don't need to edit it. He's saying the word cult. Well, because we, we'd all drunk the Kool-Aid and believed in it all. And then how quickly, how quickly we turn when it doesn't go well. And of course, the England boys will say, this is typically English. It's this typical negativity. We don't mind. I mean, you know, do you remember when they conceded 560 at Trent Bridge? Well, they just scored 530 in reply. That'll be the attitude that they're taking to it because their batting lineup is full of biffers who are going to go hard at Australia. I get all that. But I was a little bit concerned by something I read in the Daily Mail, a publication I don't normally read, but I was taken by the headline on Twitter that apparently the England team had been very interested by a Chinese proverb that Zach Crawley, a.k.a. Lurch, had uh, been telling the team. And it goes as follows. Chinese farmer, his horse, gets lost and runs away. His friend says to him, Chinese farmer, that's bad luck. Chinese farmer says, it's too early to say. Three days later, five horses come back with his original horse friend of Chinese farmer says that's good luck it's too early to say three days later son gets on horse horse very skittish throws him off he breaks his leg that's bad luck it's too early to say then four days later army come round recruiting people for a war they leave the son behind because he's no use to them his legs broken that's good luck it's too early to say now apparently this is a fountain of wisdom hang on I've just now, that's the first time I've heard that. At no point was it an important bit of information that the farmer was Chinese. <laughs> no, except that it's a Chinese, Chinese proverb thing. <laughs> okay, I, got, yeah. I got you. They do a bit of proverbialising. It happens yeah, a fair yeah, bit, yeah. you know, Confucius and all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I sense that because it's Chinese, that it sort of has conferred on it a kind of wisdom of the ancients that is starting to unravel. And I'm not sure if it's wisdom or drivel. <laughs> um, I'm sort of veering. I vacillate wildly towards its drivel and its inspirational. And you know, England will say, the problem lies with me, not with them. I never thought I'd hear the day that Daniel asked, is it wisdom or is it drivel? Because he's made a career out of that. Uh, very, very quickly. Final thing. England have won three tests at Lords against Australia since the 1800s. 1934, 2009 and 2013, when the England team was quite good. I remember 1934, Headley Verity's match. And the first one that did ball-by-ball -ball commentary with Howard Marshall <laughs> sat in the stands away to our left. Uh, the footage is fantastic. That's by the by. Sorry, I've interrupted your train of thought. Well, all I was going to say was, having been here today and having a lovely time in the Engage Icon Lounge, thank you for having me, um... It's a lovely day out and it looks beautiful. It's not the most intimidating place to come and play cricket. It is essentially a cricket museum with a game happening in the middle. It's not exactly the holly stand here. Is Lords too friendly an experience for opposing teams? Entirely. But that's why, as you know, uh, I've never really been the world's biggest fan of the second oldest test ground in London. Um, <laughs> Trent Bridge, Edgebaston, Headingley, Old Trafford, 
the Oval. These are places that stir the cockles of the English heart. You can imagine rousing speeches from Henry V's left, right and centre. Here, you're sort of welcomed in. Hello, take your seats. Yes, do clap politely. Everything's very nice. How lovely to see you, Australians. They're welcome to your absolutely guaranteed win, um, which I do find slightly irksome. And I don't know. I mean, maybe, just maybe, they should try allowing, like, the Barmy Army and trumpeters and all the other things happen in every other bloody ground in the country rather than parading a bunch of people, I've been careful, Sal, I've been careful, with ties and boaters and stripy blazers because if I was Australian and I came here, uh, I wouldn't feel that I was, you know, at war. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, who's I, intimidated by a boater? I completely agree. I have to admit, the fact that there was two pockets of Australian fans in their yellow hats and yet no sign of the Barmy Army just about sums up the welcoming experience we have for the opposition here at Lords. It's a wonderful ground. It's beautiful. It's got a lot of history attached to it. I like the walking through the long room stuff. Um, the pavilion looks pretty cool. The media centre is quite impressive. But I'll tell you what, it's not scary. It's certainly not scary. Actually, the scariest thing about this place is the media centre, which looks strangely like Sherry Blair's mouth. And on that note, <laughs> I think I think we just about got away with it. Um, but <laughs> thank you very much for listening. We're all about to go to the pub, including Stephen Finn. Uh, Jeremy Coney can't join us. He's too big time. He's hanging out with some Kiwis instead. But uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, I think we just about got away with that. Sal, give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down. It's somewhere in the middle. We'll take it. Sports Social Podcast Network.